Okay, good morning. Today's daf is daf Tes Zayin. Today's shir's Le'ilu Nishmas Shmuel Yecheskel Ben Shlomo. May his Neshama Ben Aliyah and may his memory be a blessing. It's also for a full Shleimah of Chayachayka Pas Baba Michla, Yitzchak Yehuda Ben Miriam, and Zalman Mordechai Ben Merama. They all have a complete and speedy recovery. Um, So yesterday we ended off with the discussion of Acher, quite a very intriguing discussion about the Tana Elisha ben Avuya, who was an incredibly great Talmud Chacham, but then he became a heretic, and why he became a heretic. Um, interesting enough, we didn't discuss it, but Al Gamora gave um, Al Gamora explained what was that he was a little bit uh, what's the word impure from the start, and that's why, even though he learned so much Torah, it wasn't able to keep him pure, unlike most many sages who as long as they have a good heart, even if their learning is not to the same degree as Elisha ben Avuya, the Torah can keep them pure. And we mentioned um, um, one, we said two, Al Gomorrah said two things. One is that when he would stand up in the base Medrash, all these uh, books would fall from his uh, um, or all these uh, Greek uh, what books? So, yeah, her- heretical books would fall from his lap. So he was, it seems that he was a bit too involved in other studies that he shouldn't have been. And then the second one Al Gamora gave that is he used to sing Greek songs. Now, we mentioned that Rashi says is the problem is he used to walk around singing. He should have been a bit more um, serious and uh, be out. He should have been a bit more serious because of the destruction of the base amygdala. He shouldn't have been walking around singing the whole time. Um, yeah, interesting. There are a few other reasons brought. Tostos on the previous page brings them. I'll just give one of them. Is that his whole dedication to Torah learning was was due was was for a for a not good reason, and that's why it, it brings that at at his breast. His father had invited a lot of people, and most of the people were having a party, guess, in the one room. And Rabbi Shua and Rabbi Lazar, the two leaders, were busy in the other room learning Torah. And while they were learning Torah, fire came down from heaven, and the father got very nervous, and he started uh, complaining. He was, uh, you guys are going to burn down my house, what do you think is going on? And they explained to him, no, we're just... Uh, it says, no, it's because we're learning Torah. Um, and, it's, and it's the fires come down from heaven just trying to uh, feed on these beautiful words of Torah that we're saying. And therefore, so Elisha's father said, sure, if this is a case, I'm going to dedicate him for Torah learning. But again, his whole motivation was not for Torah learning, just for the impressive sight of the fire um, dancing around the sages. Um Yeah, and there are a few other reasons given, um, but as I said, uh, I think uh, let's go on. It's just an interesting discussion. What causes someone like Acher to become a, a heretic? And sadly, the scary notion of you can have people who seem very great in Torah, and yet they are really evil people. I mean, we know, uh, sadly, we see it. We hear of great rabbis who do terrible things, but it's always... Uh, it's always a bit jarring to our system. Okay, now second last line. Um, the last we're going to go on to. So remember, four sages went into the Pardes. 
Rabbi Akiva was the last one. So Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva went into paradise. He went into this very high mystical level. He went in, in peace and he left in peace. No negative effects like the others. Remember, one died. Acha became a heretic. The other, um, other one became insane. But Rabbi Akiva went in and he came out. B'shalom. And draw me off to you and I will run. And even by Rabbi Akiva, the angels wanted to throw him out. And to harm him. He says, leave this elder because he's actually deserving to use my honor. I, this, that, whatever he had to do to get in here, he deserves. Now the Gemara wants to ask, what did... It says, my Dorash, top of Tezayin Amaralev, um, 16a, it says, my Dorash, what did Rabbi Akiva expound? I, how did he know where the Shekhinah was that he shouldn't look? Or Rashi's other second explanation, or is how did Rabbi Akiva know not to make the same mistake as Akhir? Remember, Akhir saw Metatron, this very, very supreme, powerful, godly angel, and he said, oh, there's a second God. How did Rabbi Akiva know not to make those mistakes? So he says, Omer Rabbi Bachana, Omer Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Bachana said the name of Rabbi Yochanan. We're going to bring four psukim. Um, he came from River Voice Kodesh. He made the drosha. He's a sign. Hashem is a ois amongst his myriads. He knew that he would see all these myriads. But somewhere in there would be Hashem and he would know to avoid that. It says, Preeminent above the myriad. says, There is likeness to Hashem amongst his myriads of angels. So therefore, Rabbi Akiva knew what to be aware of. Reish Lakish said, Hashem. Svokos is his name. Adonu Shalom. You'll find him like the Lord over his master. Again, according to the first, Hashem is not in the wind. And after the wind there came an earthquake or a loud noise. Hashem is not in a loud voice. After the rash came a fire, and lober eish Hashem, but Hashem's not in the fire. Achara eish called the mama dakave ne Hashem over. After the fire, there was this very silent sound, very thin sound, and that's when Hashem passed by. So what um, I think um, another the, yeah. So again, all of these are either expressing the idea that he he had a hint from these psukim where Hashem was, and therefore obviously not to look there. Don't try to look at Hashem. And that's what Achat did wrong. Or, um, or due to all of these things, he knew what he would be looking at and that it obviously wasn't Hashem. So that's the first part. I saw Artscroll bring a very beautiful explanation based on some other commentaries, is that what they all try to do is see Hashem. And it affected them in different ways, and that's where the trouble came. Rabbi Akiva knew that you can't try to see Hashem. A person can't see Hashem and live. What? But what he? So he realized that there are different ways of looking at the creation and seeing Hashem through the creation, and through that you'll get as close as you can to um, 
as close as you can to actually seeing Hashem. And each of these psukim represent a different aspect in the creation, a different way through the creation to see Hashem. So the first one is we said Hashem is a sign. So what is that? If you look at all the events in um, the Asami Rivos Kodesh, he comes from Rivos Kodesh, he's a sign in his myriads. If you look at all the actions of Hashem, you look at what goes on in the world carefully, you'll see Hashem's hand. The second one is we said there's a likeness of Hashem in this world. Uh, it says if you contemplate the goof and the neshama of man, you'll be able to get a great understanding because man is in the image of Hashem. And the third one is Hashem, uh, we said Hashem Tzvokos, Hashem is the Lord of hosts. He says, if you study kings, kings and their royalty, and how those, how people are subject and servants to the kings, you will, uh, you'll get a better idea of it. And lo baruach v'chulu, not in a spirit, is actually, um, and this the, I think the Rambam expresses, you can't know Hashem through what He is. It's just beyond human comprehension. But you can know, you can get closer to Hashem by knowing what He is not. So that's what He's saying. He's not a fire. He's not a loud noise or an earthquake. He's not a, he's not a wind. That's not what Hashem is. And if you work and work on understanding what Hashem not, is not, you slowly come close to a better understanding of what Hashem is. So that was another explanation of how these four, how these sages was explained. Rabbi Akiva, how he emerged unscathed from paradise. There are six things taught regarding demons. Um, in three aspects they like angels, and in three aspects they like man. What are the three aspects that they like angels? They have wings, they're able to fly from one end of the world to the other, and they know what the future is. You think they know the future? They're able to divide the future? No, it's not that they know the future, not that they have a way of predicting the future, but they can hear heavenly voices from behind the curtain, I from behind where Hashem is, and they'll know immediate events coming up. So, but in those three aspects, demons are the same as angels. For Shoshim, in three aspects, they are like people. They eat and drink like people. They procreate like people. And they also die like people die. So interesting. Angels are these semi-spiritual creatures. Interesting that they seem in, a, in, in certain aspects they're more spiritual than a person even. They're kind of halfway between the spiritual world like angels and the physical world like men. In three aspects, man is like angels, and in three aspects, he's like um, angels. The three aspects that he's like angels are as follows. They have das. And they can they walk upright like angels. And they speak Hebrew like angels. And and in three aspects they like animals. They eat and drink like animals, they procreate like animals, and they excrete their bodily waste like animals. Aye, so there's, again, people are, again, also, we know this about people, we're familiar, they have the, the, the highest spiritual potential. 
they have a neshama which gives them a similarity to uh, to angels. But on the other hand, we're part of the physical world, and in three aspects, we're very much like other animals. Okay, then the Mishnah stated, If a person looks at four things, he should. it's fitting that he does not, he's deserving to that he should not have been created. What is what, remember those four things we said were, what above and what's below, and what's above certain levels in heaven, what's below, outside of those, what's before the world was created, and Malachor, what will be in the future, what's after, what's after the world. So those are the four things. So, and make sense to me why you say a person should know what's above, what's below, and what will be after the world. Okay, because that's all, in a way, irrelevant to a person, and his mind can't comprehend it. What's, what's wrong with knowing what was before the world? What was, was. It's just going through a history. You want to know what happened before my separation? Well, that's just, uh, it's already been. It, it was. So why can't you know that? So Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Loza, Domi Tafai, both Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Loza said, It's similar to a king, a human king who would command his servants, Go build me this great palace over that rubbish heap. If they go and build with him, and the king does not want anyone to mention that the Ashba. And it's degrading to the king to mention that his palace was built on rubbish. Granted, he has the most beautiful palace, and obviously they covered over the rubbish, and it's a splendorous, a phenomenal uh, palace, architectural marvel. It's uh, disrespectful to remind everyone that that Palace was built on a rubbish heap. And so too to remind, to say what the world was before is falling into that trap. Um, but I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure exactly of the parable and what it's saying about the world beforehand. But again, we should not be discussing it. And culture al covered, not that we shouldn't discuss what he means by the world before, well, before the world was created, it was a rubbish heap. That obviously we can discuss the Gomorrah's in it. I'm saying the idea of discussing what was before should not be discussed. Anyone who's not careful with the honor of Hashem, it's fitting that he should not have been born. My he, what are we referring to when we say that he's not careful about the honor of Hashem? So Rabbi Abba says this is someone who looks at a rainbow. Rabbi Yosef Omar says, Rabbi Yosef says, this is one who does an Avarian Seyser. Let's see, we're going to the analysis of Mestakal Pekeshes. Where do we see that? You shouldn't look at a rainbow. You'll see as it says, this is in Yechezkel. Remember, Yechezkel is describing Hashem's throne. Like the vision of a rainbow that you see on a cloudy day, on a rainy day, in the clouds on a rainy day. So too is this brilliance around Hashem, who married the Muskvar Hashem, and it's a vision of an aspect of the glory of Hashem. So to stare, so there's an aspect of a rainbow that is similar to Hashem Shechina, or um, or is a manifestation of a of an aspect of Hashem Shechina, and therefore it is disrespectful to stare at it. Um, interesting enough, we see it's it's a it's a lack of sensitivity, it's a lack of. Um, 
appreciating something's Kedusha to just stare at it, to, do, to just be mistakal. Oh, how can you say the broch if you're not allowed to just look at the rainbow? So some of the commentaries make the distinction between looking at the rainbow and staring, gazing at the rainbow. To just glance at the rainbow, to say the brocha, well, how else are you going to say the brocha? So you have to do that. But to stare at it and study it, that's where it's like disrespectful to the shechina. Um, now, interesting, the post can even discuss, should you show someone else a rainbow? There's another reason given why we shouldn't look at the rainbow. No. Okay, so that's, uh, that's interesting. But that seems to be the halacha. You can look at the rainbow. You can, uh, again, you shouldn't stare at it, but you can glance at it and say the bracha. Then we said, um, sorry, I lost the place anyway. Yeah. Then Rabbi Yosef says, Yeah, over a very besaiser, could Rabbi Yitzchak. Rav Yosef says, you're not a, a, um, someone who does an Avera in secret is the one. It's like kicking at the, pushing out the feet of the Shechina. The earth is my footstool. So if you're going to do Averas in secret, okay, the, what's the extra, why is it so severe to do Averas in secret compared to in public? Obviously, but the one aspect is because in public you say you're just an insensitive, uncaring person. You don't care about anything. But if you do Averas in secret, um, then you're saying you're scared of people, you want a good reputation on earth, but it's just Hashem. And that, in a way, is saying like you're kicking Hashem's feet out from, uh, from the footstool because you don't uh, respect Him in this world. Again, I think on a, to go into a deeper level, remember, we want to connect, we want to bring Hashem's presence, we want to live a life that brings Hashem's presence into the world. And if you're always doing Averas in secret, well then you're kind of doing, in a, in a way, you're doing the opposite by saying like, am I really worried about Hashem? Is Hashem really in this world? And you severing the connection. Um, I mean, you also have to then just explain why is it worse to do an Avera in secret than in public? And that is the reason I gave, but it doesn't fit in perfectly with the explanation. Now the Gemara says, any says, is it really that bad to do that very in private? says, If you see someone, if someone sees that the Yetzirah is overpowering them, they should go to a place that they don't know, that no one knows them. And they should wear black. And they should wrap themselves, their head in black. And go and do what they want. And don't desecrate Hashem's name in public. We see from this teaching of Rabbi Avohu, of Rabbi Lai, we'll come back to it, that a person should rather do that very in secret than in public. Because if you do that very in public, that's a greater desecration of Hashem's name. So Gemara says, No, Lokas, Yehodamotzi, Kayev, the one is where you're allowed to go and do that very in secret is where you have no other way of you know that you'll it's impossible for you to overcome the Avera. So rather go do it in secret in this way. And the second one is um, 
and sorry, and in a case where you see that you, if you could overcome your Yetzirah and you still do that, very that's it. Now Tos is going to a very interesting discussion because he says here it seems like here that you can actually do that vera. A person should rather do that vera in secret than in public. And therefore, again, I don't think Tosos is saying, like, view it as a way out. You know, let me just wear black clothes and go to a place no one recognizes me. I think the purpose of wearing the black clothes and stuff is hopefully that effort and that change will humble a person, will quell his, um, what's it, cool his desires, and he'll get control of himself. But he's saying, Lekamri, this is the better solution. Whereas the Rach comes along and he says, Chas for Shalom, to say that, He's giving you a way out to do an Avera. What, he's say, what the Rach is saying is do these acts that will humble you. Wear black clothes. Go to a place where no one recognizes you so no one's going to treat you nicely. And all that will hopefully bring you to, to humble yourself and, that, and therefore you will be able to not do what you want. Or you'll be able to do what you want. You but won't be tired by the Yetzer and forced to do this act. But very interestingly, again, um, Tosso seems to say that when this permission is the Gamri. Again, obviously I don't think Tosso is saying look at it as a way out. But this is what it's saying. If you feel that your Yetzer is out of control and you need to do it, go do it in a secret way as possible. Whereas... The Rach is saying not a chance that he's uh, giving you any form of uh, permission to go do that Vera. Um, okay, Torah Rebbe Yehuda Rebbe Nachmani, Rebbe Yehuda Rebbe Nachmani said the following drosha. Who was the Metugamane de Reish Lakish, the Spokesperson for Eshlokish. Anyone who looks, gazes at three things, his eyes dim. A rainbow, a king, and the Kohanim. What's the, re- the, the underlying fact is all of them has a, are a manifestation of Hashem Shrina. It says, In the rainbow, as it's written, the pasuk we saw above from Yechezkel that it says um, the rainbow in the sky in the rainy in the sky on a rainy day that is a vision that's what it was looked like the musk for Hashem an image of the glory of Hashem so that the rainbow is similar to the Shechina in an aspect of it is the Shechina I think Benasi a king the pasuk says you'll place your splendor on him. So a king also has this uh, a manifestation of Hashem Shrina. And Hamistakel, the Kohanim, what's that referring to? Bizman Sheh Beis Amidash. In the time when the Beis Amidash was standing, and they would stand on their platform and do Birkas Kohanim, which is the actual name of Hashem. And the Shrina would rest there. I, when the Kohanim in the Beis Amigdash would, duch, would bless B'nai Israel, what we call would duchen, the Shekhinah would rest on their hands and therefore you're not supposed to look at them. Very interesting Tostos here. He says, from here we have a, a difficulty on Rashi. Um, in, uh, in Megillah it was discussing that a Kohen with um, blemishes on his hands, funny marks on his hands, shouldn't do Birkas Kohanim. And Rashi says... Um, because everyone will stare at his hands 
And this is this is Rashi's explanation there. Why can't a kohen do because kohen if he has funny marks or funny things on his hands? Because everyone will stare at his hands. And we just saw in the Gemara in Chagiga, you're not allowed to look at the kohen's at the kohen's hands when he's doing birkas kohanim because the shechina rests there. So Tosa say that doesn't make sense because when does Al Gemara say you're not allowed to look at the kohanim's hands when they're in the base amigdash? When they're not in the base amigdash, may even be when they're not saying shema mafurish, which is after Rabbi Yochanan ben Zaka, then. Um, then it seems there's no problem of looking at their hands. So rather, Tosos say, why are you not allowed to look? So, so Tosos actually say there are two reasons. The one reason you're not allowed to look at the coin's hands, and this only applies in the base of Mikdash, this is important practical ramifications. So again, the one reason that you're not allowed to look at the coin's hands, which applies only in the base of Mikdash, is because Hashem Shechida rests there. But there's a second reason. He says in Megillah, even outside of the base of Mikdash, you're not allowed to look at the coin's hands because it will distract you. He brings that, uh, he brings that from Yerushalmi as well. So there's a, another aspect of... Uh, of Birkas Kohanim, um, sorry, where was it? Yeah, there's an aspect of Birkas Kohanim that um, that you shouldn't be distracted. You should be concentrating very carefully on the bracha that the Kohanim should give you, and that's why you're not allowed to cover their hands. Therefore, interesting, Mistoma. It shouldn't, neither of, firstly, which reason applies nowadays when we're in Shul and the Kainim are doing their Dukhadid? That would seem to be the reason that Tosus bring of Hesech Hadas. Not necessarily that the Shkina rests on their hands. Hesech Hadas means you'll get distracted. Um, and then, but nowadays that the Kainim cover their hands, and never mind that, um, yeah, nowadays that Kohanim cover their hands, it seems there would be no real reason for a person to not look at the Kohanim's hands. He doesn't have to worry about being distracted and he doesn't have to worry about um, seeing seeing the Shechina. And furthermore, I mean, we do the double protection is that people themselves cover their faces with their talus. Um, so it seems like at least one of those would not be necessary. Um, interesting, now, I always find it a little bit ironic that for Birkas Kohanim is the one time everyone goes and runs and they bring their children in and you have all these children like running around the shul and they playing under their father's talus when the main reason that he's covering himself from not looking at the Kohanim is to not get distracted. And then you see the fathers with their baby and their two-year-old and their five-year-old all like um, having a little bit of a game under the talus during Birkas Kohanim. I always found that a bit ironic when the main reason why we do cover our faces and don't look at the Kohanim is so that we don't get distracted and can concentrate on the bracha. Okay, um, let's carry on another teaching by this by Rabbi Huda Bar Nachmani. Torah Rabbi Huda Bar Nachmani metugemina deresh lokesh says, "My dear sir, what does the pasuk mean when it says al teminu be'rayat? Do not trust a friend, but al tiftuhu." Do not believe in a friend, and do not place your trust in officials. So, as it says, if the Yetzirah says, don't worry, you can do that, and Hashem will forgive you, do not believe him. Because uh, the Pasuk just says, don't believe Berea, and that's a reference to the Yetzirah, which is called Ra. Shanemar, as the Pasuk says, Ki Yetzir Leif Ra. 
The yater of a person is Ra. So we see that when it says Ra, it's referring to the yater. It says, And Aluf is referring to Hashem. It says, Aluf Nurai Ato. You are the master, the, the general, the chief from when I was young. So Shema Tomar, me maybe. And maybe you'll say, Okay, fine, but I'm going to do that very anyway. Who's going to testify against me? So Amne base of a chorus base, shall Adam hain me idimbo. The stones and the beams of a person's house will testify against him. Shinemar says, Ki even me kitizak, the kapisma eitzianeno. The stones of the wall will cry out, and the chips of the wood will also testify. No, the actual nisham of a person will testify against him if he sins. Shinemar says, from the one that dwells in your loins, from inside you, be careful what you say. And what is it that dwells in the inside of a person that is in the Shoma? He says the two angels that accompany a person will testify. He says, uh, sorry, I lost the place. His angels will accompany you and protect you on your way. Another, other sages say, the actual, your actual limbs will testify against you. You are my witness, says Hashem, and I am God. I, you, your own body will act as a witness against you. On a simple level, I think what we're saying is, remember, don't think that when you sin, it doesn't leave you. I don't think that, you know what, maybe, and I think that fits in with the justification. The justification is a person saying, you know what, what's, I'll sin and Hashem will forgive me. What I do doesn't have any ramifications. It's a common uh, phrase people use, you know what, does it really make a difference if I do this? Is it really bad? But I think we've got to remember that our veyras do have an impact depending on the type of Aveira and depending the way it's done, but it can have an impact on our household. And therefore the walls of your household testify. It has an impact on your family. It has an impact on your body. It leaves, um, it can have an impact on your neshama. Your Aveiras, your actions have an impact. And therefore they will, um, in that impact will testify against you. Obviously not literally, but that's what it means. Okay, now we're going back to the discussion of Chagiga. We had a nice uh, week's uh, break of, uh, almost a week's break of uh, Gadata, and now we're going back to the discussion of the Korban Chagiga. And now, this mission is based on the following discussion. It says, when one brings a Korban, at least a private Korban, there's a mitzvah to do smicha. Smicha is, as we'll see, it's leaning on the animals, but pushing down on the animal to the degree that you basically lift yourself off the ground. That's smicha. And the question is, can you do smicha on Yom Tov? What's the problem? We know you're not, it's exerid rabbonin that you're not allowed to use an animal. You're not allowed to ride an animal. And included in that gazer is you're not allowed to like lean on it, um, at least, or pitch yourself up on it. So that's why smicha, strictly speaking, should be exerid rabbonin. As we're going to see, it's a machloikas tenoim, because to do it for a korban in the Beis Amigdash on Shabbos and Yom Tov, should the Xerid Rabbonin be pushed away? Let's see it in the Mishnah and then we'll discuss uh, the explanation. So he says, Yoisi ben Yo'ezer O. Just before we go to interesting, we're going to note two pairs of sages. Now these, this is in the stages which was called the Zugos, the pairs. And basically we have a Nosi and the Avbeizdin, the head and the deputy 
of the Sanhedrin, the Nasi, yeah, says, Yaisi ben Yo'ezer, Oymei Shaloi Lismoch, Yaisi ben Yo'ezer says, you should not do smicha on Yom Tov. Yaisi ben Yo'echran, Oymei Lismoch, Yaisi ben Yo'echran says, you can do smicha. Yeshua ben Prachi, Oymei Shaloi Lismoch, Nitarbeili, Oymei Lismoch. Yeshua ben Prachi says, you should, Prachi says, you should not do smicha, Nitarbeili says, you can do smicha. Yehuda ben Tabai Oimer Shaloi Lismach Shimon ben Shetach Oimer Lismach Yehuda ben Tabai says you should not do smicha and Shimon ben Shetach says you can do smicha Shmaya Oimer Lismach Abtalion Oimer Shaloi Lismach Shmaya says you can do smicha and Abtalion says you cannot do smicha Hillel Umanachem Loi Nechleku Hillel and his Abbasdin did not argue Yotza Menachem Nichna Shamai Menachem left his position we'll see in the Gemara why as Abbasdin and Shammai took his place. This is the famous Hillel and Shammai. Hillel and Shammai. Shammai Omer Shaloi Lismoch, Hillel Omer Lismoch. Shammai said you should not do smicha, and Hillel says you can do smicha. Again, the smicha we're referring to is leaning on the animal when you bring a korban on Yom Tov. Now, interesting enough, Tosos, well, Rashi points out, Tosos also here, they go into it and they say this is the first machlokes. Yosef ben Yoezer, this is the first machlokes. Up until that stage, it seems that every machloikas was resolved almost on the spot. And this was the first long-standing machloikas. Ba'a Yoisi ben Yo'ezer and Yosef ben Yo'ezer and Yosef ben Yo'echran. It's the first time we find machloikas. They discuss, oh, but we see machloikas between David and Shaul on certain halachas, etc. But uh, this would, um, and Tosos explain why we don't bring that as a, Principle and um, interest, yeah. Okay, now, what is the machlokes? So the Gemara in Beitzah discusses the machlokes by Shaman Beisila, and it gives two explanations of what their machlokes is about. Or whether you do smicha. The first explanation is that Beishamai holds you can do smicha the day before. Therefore, any korban that you are supposed to offer on Yom Tov, like your chagiga. You should have done smicha on Erev Yom Tov. And therefore, if you didn't do it, Chazal don't have to push aside the Xerah and say, do it on Yom Tov. Beis Hillel say, no, you have to do smicha immediately before you shecht it. Immediately prior to shechita, you must do smicha. And therefore, you have to do it on Yom Tov. And obviously, the offering of a korban pushes aside a Xerah de Rabbonin. That's the one way of learning the Machlokas. Again, the machlokas is, can you do smich, the real machlokas is, can you do smich on the day before? I, is it necessary to push aside the xeradarabon and that you would not be allowed to lead on the animal? The second way of learning the machlokas is that, no, both hold you have to do the smicha immediately before the shkita. However, do you have to do smicha on, an, on a korban that's an obligation? As we've seen through this masechta, it's an obligation to bring a chagiga when you come to the Beis HaMikdash. So since it's an obligation, Beis holds you do not have to do smicha on an obligation. Or you don't do smicha on an obligation, you only do smicha on a voluntary korban. Okay, let's go on into the, oh sorry, the last line of the Mishnah. It says, Harishonim hoyunasim v'shnim lohem av beizdin. In this list, the, the sage mentioned first is the Nasi, and the sage mentioned second is the head of the Beisdin. And now we bring Toner Rabbonin. It's taught in a Braisa. Of this list that we gave, the first three listed first, who say that you are not allowed to do smicha, were, and from the last two of the list, who say that you do smicha, they nasiyam. Vishnayim lohem avos beizdin divrei, 
And the people mentioned second are the Av Beisdin. So again, so just I'll just say the list. It's I mean it's, it's if you just read the Mishnah, you'll work it out because Rabbi Meir, our Mishnah is like Rabbi Meir, but it says Yosef ben Yoezer would be the Av Beisdin who says not to Yeshua ben Parchia. Sorry, the Nasi who says not to Yeshua ben Parchia would be the Nasi who says not to, and Yehuda ben Tabai would be the Nasi who says not to. And then obviously arguing them was Yosef ben Yochanan, Nitai Har Bailey. And Shimon ben Shetach, they all say to do smicha. So again, the, the Nasi is saying don't do smicha, and the Abbasian is saying do smicha. And then we said two of them say do smicha, that's Shmaya and Hillel. And their Abbasians, Avtalion and Shammai, said don't do smicha. The Chachomim Oyim, the Chachomim have a slide, they say Yehuda ben Tabah Abbasian, the Shimon ben Shetach Nasi. They say that Yehuda ben Tabah was the Abbasian and Shimon ben Shetach was the Nasi. So unlike our mission, which said Yehuda ben Tabah was the Nasi. Or Rebbe Meir says, Man Tan Eloha de Tonu Rabbonon, Omar Yehuda ben Tabah. Who's the author of the following, or who's the author of the following price? Was it Rebbe Meir, the Chachomim? We're going to mention Yehuda ben Tabah and Shimon ben Shetach. Who was the Nasi and who was the Avbeizin according to the story? So he says, basically, Yehuda ben Tabai says, ben I should be punished or I should be consoled if I don't put this Eid Zomem to death. If I don't put this single Eid Zomem to death, uh, yeah, in, just, sorry, a simple way of saying it is Yehuda ben Tabai said, I must put this Eid Zomem to death. Why? To exclude from the Tzidukim. They say, in Eidim Zomem Neregim Achehoreganidon. The Eidim Zomem were only put to death if the one they testifying against was killed. Remember, Eidim Zomem, we haven't seen it in a long time, so just a quick recap, is if you have two witnesses who testify up against a person, let's say you give the and Another two witnesses come and testify that those witnesses, they're not saying what happened in the case. All they're saying is those two witnesses could not have seen the event because they say they're testifying that on Friday, um, Friday the 25th of February in Johannesburg they saw X. And you, these two Aiden come along and said they couldn't have testified what happened in Johannesburg. They were with us in Cape Town on Friday the 25th of February. So that would be Aiden Zomim. Now, the Aiden Zomim get the same punishment as they deserve. As they tried to do. So if they were testifying that Ruvain killed and therefore Ruvain must be put to death, then they'll get put to death. If they testify that Ruvain stole money and he has to pay X, then they will have to pay X. Their punishment is what they tried to do. That's Adim Zomimin. Now, the Tzidukin says in the parasha, it says Nefesh Tachas Nefesh or Nefesh Benefesh. Don't remember which It says that a soul for a soul. So they say that you only punish the Adim Zomimin if they are punished. If, sorry, if the Basin carried out the punishment. So they testified falsely against Ruvain, and Ruvain was put to death, then you put the Adim Zomim into death. That's the Tzidukim. The Chachomim don't know, because the Pasuk says, Ka'asher Zomam Lasos, like they tried to do, like they planned to do. Right? Not that they actually did. If they planned to get Ruvain to death, but they didn't manage, they found out to be Adim Zomim, then you would put them to death. But if they actually put Ruvain to death, it's not just the plan that became an action, then you wouldn't put them to death. That is the correct law. So Rabbi Yudha ben Tabah should says, I should put this Eid Zomim to death to exclude from the Tzidukim who would say in that case you don't put him to death. 
says Amar Lei Shimon Ben Shetach. Shimon Ben Shetach says no. Ere Ben Achamim Loi Shafachta Tamnaki Sharei Omru Chachamim Ein Edim Zayim Neirogim Ad Shuzu Mushnayim. Shimon Shetach no. That would be considered killing an innocent person because Chachamim say you do not put the Edim Zomim to death unless they both found to be Edim Zomim. I if the again remember you always have to have two witnesses. So if the both witnesses are found to be Edim Zomim, then you give them the punishment, as we'll see. If the two witnesses if only one witness is found to be an Aid Zomim, you do not put him to death. So he says, For ain't loikin shame, you're only allowed to give the lashes to the Adim Zomim if both of them were found to be Zomim. For ain't Mishramim Amon shame. So again, so Shimon Ben Shantach proved that Taloch is no, you're not allowed to put a single age to death. You can only do it if it's both Adim. Oh, you miyad, kibbal olav Yehuda ben Taba, sha'ino moira alocha, ele bifnei Shimon ben Shantach, immediately Yehuda ben Taba accepted upon himself that he would not paskin. Unless Shimon ben Shetach was there. And call Yom of Shehuda ben Tabah Hoya Mishtatech al Kivro shel Oisa Horug Hoya Koyla Nishma. As long, his whole life, Yehuda ben Tabah used to go and cry on the grave of the one he killed, davening for, um, I guess, asking him for forgiveness for putting him to death. Because for him, I'm Lohim Shekula Horug Shekol Ha. Horughu. The people thought that it was the sound of the one who was killed was crying from the grave. It says, and Omer Lohim Koyli Hu. So Yehuda ben Tabai said, No, it's my voice. Taydu, I'll give you a proof. Tomorrow Yehuda ben Tabai is going to die and you won't hear his voice anymore. So Amalei Ravach, Ravashi says, That's not a good proof. It's not a good proof that it's his sound. says, Maybe the reason the voice stopped is not because it was Yehuda ben Tabai crying and he's now dead, but because he managed to appease the victim. Well, maybe he took him to court. He claimed from him in court. That's why the voice stopped crying. So, kind of, we don't answer that question. But either way, it seems it's not a clear proof. This, that Yehuda ben Tabai says, it's me crying. It's not the victim who's crying from his grave. It's because it's going to stop when I die. Now, it says, Moni. Now, who's the author of this Mishnah? That Yehuda ben Tabai says, I can't paskin unless Shimon ben Shetach is there. It says, Money, money, who's the author of this? You might be like Rabbi Meir, the Amar Shimon Ben Shetach. I've based in Rabbi Yudah Ben Tabai. Nasi, Hanu de Kamari Alocha Bifnei Shimon Shetach. Oh, this that if you say it's like Rabbi Meir who says Shimon Ben Shetach was the I've based in Rabbi Yudah Ben Tabai was the Nasi, the higher position. Well, then it makes sense that he was allowed to initially paskin before Shimon Ben Shetach. Elo, you might Rabbanon the Amar Yudah Ben Tabai. I've based in Shimon Ben Shetach. Nasi, I've based in Bifnei Nasi Mimari Alocha. If you want to tell me that Yudah Ben Tabai was the I've based in, he is not allowed to issue issue a halachic psak before Yehuda, before Shimon ben Shetach, the Nasi. So it must be like Rebbe Meir that he's actually the Av Beisdin. Again, the Av Beisdin is not allowed to issue a psak before in front of the Nasi. You have to get the Nasi, he has to issue it, the verdict. But the fact that Yehuda ben Tabai wasn't afraid of that, he used to, at, initially he used to issue psakim, must be he was the Nasi. Says law, not necessarily. My kibel alof the omel lastrufe da fil lastrufe nami lo yistrofi. There's certain court cases where he, the, the, even the avbeizdin is allowed to join with another beizdin and issue a psak. Even in those cases, Yehuda ben Tabai says, "I'm not joining those bate dinim and issuing a psak unless Shimon ben Shetach is with me." So it could be that Shimon ben Shetach was the nasi, and there were times where Yehuda ben Tabai was allowed to paskin, but now he said, I'm taking it upon myself not to paskin unless Shimon ben Shetach is there. Tosos asks an interesting question here. Tosos say, so it seems Yehuda ben Tabai accidentally killed someone. He issued a ruling, turned out to be a mistake, and he put someone to death incorrectly. Now, 
Um, so it does but wait, we have a teaching that says, Im um, says, but what about the teaching that says Hashem doesn't allow the animals of tzaddikim to make mistakes and call shekain tzaddikim themselves? I, uh, the tzaddikim, we see a few times where Hashem saved from tzaddikim from accidentally eating something they can't. And here we see Hashem didn't save Yehuda ben Tabai from accidentally putting someone to death. So what happened to that principle? So Tosin says, very interesting, he says it's specifically with eating. Uh, there's a special dimension of degradation of eating something that is awesome. And that's where Hashem saves the great sages from doing something awesome. But in all other cases, Hashem would not necessarily save them um, from their mistakes. And Tosas take it a step further and they say, not only that, that's only where the food is intrinsically awesome. But if it's just where the food is, um, the time makes it also. For example, it's before Abdullah. You're not allowed to eat before Abdullah. Let's say you might accidentally, because again, the food is fine. It's just the time that is making it also. Okay, so that's an interesting point. I thought that this principle we say that Hashem saved Sadiqim from making mistakes is specifically in regarding to eating Isur. Um, let's just quickly do the next piece. So it says, We said that Menachem left his position as Avbaizdin. And Shammai joined. I, there was Hillel who was the Nasi, and Menachem left. He says, Where did he go? Abaya says he went to, he joined a bad crowd. He became, yeah, he became a not good person. Yotza says, No, he went to work as a, in the, the king's government. Says, says, He went to join the Zugos of the Tamilim uh, wearing. Um, and his sorry, he went to join the the king, and eighty pairs of Talmudim joined him wearing royal garb. Um, what did the interesting chapter to Pharisee Israel says that if you look at um, in Josephus, which is like a history of that time, um, he brings he seems to bring both those reasons. He seems to say that he became a Baitusi, a heretic. That would be the Tarbus Ra. I remember Baitusi is those who don't believe in the oral Torah. In the, yeah, they only believe in the written Torah. So that's what it means he left to Tabus Ra. And Rava says, no, he left to join the king. He brings that um, Menachem saw Herod, again, who had no reason to suspect he'd be royalty, as a young boy. And he said, I can see that you're going to become a king. And Herod, to reward that, asked him to join his uh, government. And that's where Menachem went and joined his government, Herod's government. Um, another Pshat Ben Yehuda, it says beautifully, he says, no, obviously Menachem, this great Av Beisdin, did not become a heretic. He left both events, the, the event is one event. He went and he joined the king's government. However, what Abaye is telling us, for someone to leave the Av Beisdin, the center, the root of Torah in Bnei Israel, to go be a government official, even though obviously he's involved in noble deeds of helping to run the country and like saving Jews from evil decrees and all these good things, to leave the center, the root of B'nai Israel's Torah, to go do that, it's for all intents and purposes, it's like he went and joined a Tarbus Ra, a bad group, became a bad person. Okay, and we'll leave it there for today. It's hoping to get it further, but we'll have to leave it. Have a great Shabbos, and I'll see you Sunday.